Welcome back to Thinking About It, and uh, I am here with my good friends, Andrew Noble and Dave Barker, uh, and uh, we've been having a little conversation about um, something that you probably experienced, the, the world of skeptics, mm-hmm. and the responsibility that we have to engage them or not. Um, is it a waste of our time? Are we casting pearls before swine when we enter into... Um, an unwinnable argument, as we might think. Um, Is there uh, any value in giving time to skeptics and their questions when we don't always know what's behind it? And so there are people, Dave, you've mentioned in in the seminary that there Mm -hmm. are some, and I think we all know some who say, no, it's a waste of time. Um, But I think we need to revisit that question and uh, talk about do we respond to skeptics? How far do we go? And what good will it accomplish? So can we, can we start there? Yeah, and, and it just came out of, a, out of a discussion question I had given at my hermeneutics class on dealing with uh, two different statements that the centurion made, one in, one in Matthew, one in Luke. One said, surely this is the Son of God. And the, others, the other gospel writer said that the centurion said, uh, surely this was a righteous man. And so the question was that I was asking, okay, mm-hmm. how do we handle that? Did he say both? Did he say neither? Did he say one and the other guy adapted it? And this kind of thing. And then the, 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 one of my students said, I don't even know why we're asking this question because skeptics aren't going to be convinced by your answers anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why are we bothering? And but there are uh, some implications to this. Oh, huge. And, of course, <laughs> I didn't respond. I responded and uh, was pretty adamant and uh, I've got in front of me that my what I wrote out to to the class it was to the entire class about why I think we need to engage with questions like seeming disparities in the gospels now why would that be a good thing well for me um the skeptic who argues for the disparities in the gospels and therefore they, they can't be god-breathed or can't be reliable that person probably I'm not going to gain a lot by engaging that conversation. But where I'm concerned is those for whom we have responsibility Mm -hmm. who will be put under the influence teaching of folks like this. And I use my own children as an example. Uh, My son Joel wound up being in a class uh, in a secular, uh, well, quite a liberal class, seminary in which the professor was adamantly defending the JDP non-mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he came home and we engaged in the conversation and I'm reasonably competent to speak to the issue. And uh, while I would never convince the professor that was teaching that, my son, after an intense conversation with me and some reading and that kind of stuff, decided that, well, he decided that his dad was right and, <laughs> and actually left that seminary and uh, went to an evangelical one where would, that would affirm a more of an evangelical stance on the authorship of the Pentateuch. I can illustrate it with my daughter, who was in a, in a uh, Gospels class being confronted with the skepticism of the of the disparities and um and uh you know again i was able to answer some of her questions and that kind of thing and 
yeah, she she still remains in the faith and that kind of thing. So, so my 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 issue is, I think no, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes engaging with a skeptic may in fact be a little, somewhat futile, but I do think we need to be informed. That's my point. We need to be informed about what uh, is being suggested, promoted, talked about, taught, so that we can uh, be have and in, give intelligent answers mm-hmm. to someone who might ask mm-hmm. and our own kids. So we need to be well read. I remember when someone in my church uh, was talking about critical race theory or third wave feminism. I hadn't heard of those things, <laughs> yeah. right? And I thought, oh, I better look into this. Yeah. And so I very quickly found out just because I knew I needed to have vocabulary and understanding to deal with the things that were enveloping her and taking her away. And um, I was a little embarrassed that I didn't know. Okay, Nobes, um, you're, what, what do you think? I think I agree. Um, I went through an experience at the University of Waterloo. It's pretty common. Like you think about students here in this city um, more and more because of the bus pass and LRT. We really should see the region all as one. And our and our outreach includes now a bus ministry to the university. And a lot of Christians mm-hmm. see the course Jesus Life and Legacy offered at the University of Waterloo, and they will learn the Q hypothesis. They will learn source criticism. They will learn textual criticism, and they will learn how to question their pastor. And so this was my experience being in that course and pushing back on the prof and reading my ESV study Bible and then going back to class and saying, Mm -hmm. what do you think of this argument that I'm just Mm -hmm. reading? Mm -hmm. I think it's important to do that. I mean, we just had the episode about (laughs) misconceptions. One misconception is that, oh, these universities are going to change Mm -hmm. these kids and make them secular Mm -hmm. but the research that we talked about in the last episode they found that that is not true um it's it's no different going to university in fact well-educated people in america tend to be more religious rather than less religious it's it's the complete opposite of what you'd expect um but yeah i think there's a place for it i i what what are those two back-to-back proverbs dr barker oh Answer yeah not a fool according yeah. to his folly mm-hmm. answer a fool according. first one uh, you know is proverbs 26 right yeah versus uh three and four four and five yeah uh, don't answer a fool according to his folly you'll become like him yourself and the next line says answer a fool according to his folly or he'll think he's smarter than he really is. Yeah, okay. so which is it? It's like, that's <laughs> Well, that's wisdom. a genre issue, right? It's <laughs> purely genre. And, and this, uh, in, in my student that made the original comment, said, I don't know why we're discussing genre. I think it just confuses things. And I'm going, oh my goodness, <laughs> he just shot down my whole course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so my answer to that whole issue was fairly lengthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got to be prepared to deal with it. It's wisdom. It's wisdom literature, yeah. and that's how you answer the question, right? But how do you know when is a place where you should engage and when is it not? Like, I've, I've posted something on Facebook and that you get the comment from a friend who's not Christian, and they're like, well, blah, 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 that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. Do, you, do I get into the comment section and go back and forth and back and forth? Where should we engage and where should we not? Oh, yeah. Well, for me, it's stay off Facebook. So, uh, Fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on Facebook and I don't, and I choose not yeah. to be for some of those reasons. Yeah. Well, but a, a lot uh, of our listeners are, are in pastoral ministry. Yeah. And so, I mean, they may or not, not be on Facebook. So is it? proper and a good use of our time from the pulpit and places where we teach to deal with stuff like this, like the authors of 
Isaiah were there too, or a source criticism. Do, should that be heard from the pulpit? Uh, would, should those terms not be new to a student in first and second year university if they're studying literature? Can you imagine somewhere in public ministry where a pastor might just refer to that, or how much should well, we? I think we should. Um, I think we underestimate the ability of our congregations to understand complicated issues. Mm. The vast majority of our congregations are relatively well-educated. Um, and for us to at least let the congregation know that we're familiar with the whole issue of, say, the authorship of the Pentateuch. Now, we're not going to go deep into the documentary hypothesis and JDP and all the rest, that kind of thing. But they should know that when you say, now, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, oh, and by the way, this is challenged by some who will put this into something called the documentary hypothesis mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, a, a, Yah, uh, a Yahwist uh, author and that kind of thing. Um, and that way you've let your congregation know that you're familiar with the discussion but you're not getting sidetracked by it. So when Moses wrote, mm-hmm. you know, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, this is what he meant for the audience to hear mm-hmm. as he was teaching them. But you've dropped that little hint that, you've, that you're wide, more widely read than just a conservative commentary on Exodus 20 or the authorship of Genesis or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do think we need to let the congregants know that we are familiar with the broader field than just what we have said in a sermon. But but in the sermon that could be done, or would you offer uh, on a Sunday night more of that kind of thing? Or I think you let them know right off the top that you are you are relatively <clears throat> well read in the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Not convinced, then, but well read. Yeah, okay. and that you're familiar with the conversation, right? And uh, and that your students who are in universities can trust you to know that you're not ignorant of what they're yeah. dealing with as their prof, uh, you know, mm-hmm. disses whatever issue, you know, whether you hold, you know, a sixth, sixth century date for the book of Daniel versus a second century date mm-hmm. for the book of Daniel, that kind of thing. We're familiar with that kind of stuff. Well, I think our kids, you know, they, they go to these, I'm always asking them, what kind of conversations are you having? And I'm waiting to hear some of this stuff. I don't know if our kids are just into the sciences or the maths, but a lot of them don't seem to engage these conversations as much as I thought they would. So it's, it's not as hostile as we might think. Maybe the humanities it is, but um, not, not everyone is dealing with it. Well, it's, it's also interesting. I've, I've been speaking up at the <clears throat> University of Guelph for the, uh, the uh, Power, to Power to Change group. And, you know, they're asking me to do things like, well, okay, help me with understand the book of Esther. Mm-hmm. Or then I did a whole thing on the Old Testament survey. I gave them an Old Testament survey in 30 minutes. And there's, there's 80, 90, I think one night there was 100 kids there, uh, students, young adults there. And so... Well, it's Dave Barker. Would you get no. a big crowd here when you come and do something for us? So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's... Anyhow, um, I, I just... These students are intelligent, they're bright, they are engaging with this stuff, and they're happy when somebody comes along who is relatively informed about a few of these things to kind of solidify that what they believe isn't something that they ought to throw away. And would this be a a gift of some 
but not others. Like I think about <clears throat> not not all of you are teachers, not those who labor in teaching are worthy. So Paul seems to think based around that passage that I'm referencing that there are some that do teaching that are pastors and elders and some that might not be as active in teaching as pastors and elders. Would you have on your pastoral team one person who's really strong on apologetics, Mm -hmm. you know, and some pastor theologians, you know, with a hyphen. There you go. Like there seem to be some that are especially gifted for this task, but perhaps not all pastors are under the burden to read as widely yeah, and I think we have gifted people out there that circulate among the churches mm-hmm. that can be used, brought in, talk to our to our young adults, go up to the uh, power to change groups and speak there. Um, I think of a guy like Scott Steen. Some of us know Scott. He is phenomenal in all these areas. He's balanced, thoughtful, careful, um, well-read. Um, and uh, so someone like that to bring into the, your congregation once in a while to deal with these would seemingly be more esoteric topics, but inevitably I've seen this stuff happen where you run a Sunday school class or an adult ed or something like that, and the place is packed mm-hmm. because people really want to know and have help in this area. Well, it, I've been shocked at how um, a first-year student take uh, i don't know how they end up in these conversations the ones that aren't into the math and sciences but they come back and say pastor bob did you know that that there were two authors of Deuter- of um, isaiah there are two I, I didn't know that you know and it's it it was like the beginning of a of a whole new um list of suspicions that they had what else didn't i know and I just, thought, in that moment, I thought, you know, maybe we need to better prepare these kids mm-hmm. for that world. And um, the But I, I think the, the critical question at that point is that you not be surprised by that question, uh-huh. right? If you're surprised by that question, I'm saying, uh, perhaps you need to go back to seminary. Um, you know, I, the fact that there are well, two I off- knew I knew the question, yeah, I, I and I knew the answer, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I was just but, shocked that this was coming up and that I hadn't prepared this kid for that kind of thing, and it was shaking his faith. But the fact that you could answer the question, and he came to you, mm-hmm. and you gave him a reasonably thoughtful answer in this whole thing, yeah. um, we're not going to be able to be out front in every question that these kids are going to face, but we need to be informed when they come back to us mm-hmm. and say, did you know that... Daniel was written in the 6th century, not, the, not in the 2nd century rather than the 6th. Or there's a Trito Isaiah as well as a Deutero Isaiah, right? Okay. I need to read a little more then. <laughs> <laughs> 56 to 66, by the okay. way, is often called Trito Isaiah. Okay. Um, we're out of time. Can you imagine? We're at 15 minutes. So can we leave on that note? Sure. Okay. Until next time, I'm Bob. I'm here with Andrew and Dave. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Thinking About It.